Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. We've gone through a series this month called My Church, and we've talked about some problems in church. We've talked about the potential of church, the blessing of church, and what's, what's really going on right now is that in our church, there's been so many stories this month and even last month of, of tragic things happening, difficult things happening. And for those of y'all who don't know, a very beloved member of our church, Russell, uh, he was in a car accident this past weekend. And... We've been praying and praying and praying, and we've been asking everybody to pray because he's in critical condition. And, and right now, we just got um, notice this morning that they're, they're not detecting any brain waves in his, uh, in his head. And that if he doesn't show any sign of brain activity by their standards by tomorrow, that they're going to pull the life support on him. And... This has been such a difficult time, not, not just for us, but especially for his fiance Stephanie. And she's been there at the hospital this whole time. And when I first went there on, uh, on Friday, it was, the emotions are so heavy to walk into something like that. And you, it's like you know people so intimately and you don't think, you never think that that would happen to somebody close to you, someone near to your heart. And it's like just one moment, everything's fine. And the next moment, a tragedy. And what, what I witnessed when Stephanie showed up, we were all praying before she was able to get there. She had to fly in from Florida because she was out of town. And when I first walked into the room, I, I got on my knees with Stephanie's mother and we just started praying and crying together over Russell. And we were praying all day. And when Stephanie showed up, I never, I could never imagine what emotions you'd feel walking into that. And as a pastor, as a friend, I was so moved and inspired because when she got there, I went into the room and prayed with her and we prayed and we cried and we prayed. And when, when the nurses come in to fill her in on all the, the, the problems and give them the prognosis and already convinced that he's not going to make it, she just kept, she was telling these doctors and these nurses, well, I know that he's going to walk out of here. I know that he's going to walk out here. I, he's going to be okay. And to the point where it was, there's a moment that you could be embarrassed. Because it seems like an impossibility to them. It, it's almost like the look in their eyes was pity. You poor soul. It's like they, they just knew in their heads that her hope was going to be devastated and disappointed. And even still, she's, 
She was just telling these doctors so confidently of who her God is. And she's telling them stories of the Bible and she's saying if Jesus could raise from the dead, this is nothing for him. And she even said that the Virgin Mary was a virgin pregnant with the Son of God. That's an impossibility. That's a medical impossibility, but God did that. Nothing's impossible for him. And she's saying this to nurses and doctors. And it just... It just moved my heart. And it encouraged my faith. I, I am a person that I, I have seen God move in powerful ways. I, I know people that, uh, there's people that have been blind and have been able to see in this day and age, not in Bible times. I'm talking about miracles now. I've casted out demons. I've had demons talk to me and tell me that, that my friend isn't going to uh, come to Christ because they own my friend. I've had crazy scenarios like that happen. Me and my wife, when we were, when we were dating, there's a, a night where we got on our knees and started praying and worshiping, and we started hearing worship of heaven. At first, I thought I was just developing schizophrenia. <laughs> but then when I said out loud what I was hearing, she started crying because she could hear it too, and she just thought she was going crazy. See, we serve a God that we know and believe and talk about, but so often we don't really show our faith to be as strong as it should be. And when I was seeing Stephanie there and seeing how strong her faith was, how strong her faith is, and even up to this moment, we've been praying and believing. And... Even right now, I need us all to pray together. Before we go on into this service anymore, I need us to pray together. Because this morning, we just we had received that word that if Russell doesn't have any activity by tomorrow, that they're going to just pull the plugs, that they're not going to transfer him to long-term care. And let me tell you that there is so many stories there are so many stories of people in situations like this and God breathed life back into them. So many stories. I was reading up because I needed to increase my faith. And so I was looking at current testimonies and stories similar to this. And there is a scenario where a father was in the room refusing for them to unplug his son to the point where the police had to come in and he started threatening, if you unplug him, I'm going to kill myself right here. And it's a standoff in the hospital right here. And in the middle of the standoff, the son that they were already convinced is gone, past recovery. His brain is dead. He's dead. We're just keeping him alive for nothing. Woke up and came to. There's a, another story of a, a 23-year-old young woman. Brain dead completely. And they said her brain is already hemorrhaged. There's no way that she's going to live. And even if she does, she's not going to have any motor skills, be able to talk. She's just going to be a vegetable. She ended up coming to. Not only did she start walking again, not only was she able to talk again, 
develop all of her motor skills and everything, but she even continued to pursue her career of becoming a lawyer. Now, not, not every story is like that. I'm not trying to paint this false image, but it's possible with God. And we need to stand and believe who our God is. For the longest time, I believed that I was just a realist. That I just, I just was a realist and I was able to accept just horrible things in the world. That I'm just a realist. And I realized yesterday that up to this point, I've been hopeless. As a pastor, up to this point, I've been a hopeless child of God. That I've only put my hope in eternity and I haven't let my hope overflow into today. And I need you guys to believe with me the power of God. Even today, the Holy Spirit corrected me. I started thinking in my head, well, even if there's a 1% chance. And I felt like God told, told me, what miracle was ever a chance? What, at what point is raising the dead a chance? At what, what point is there a chance for food of fish and bread to be completely created? Is that a chance or is that an impossibility? A, a virgin conceiving, is that a chance or is it an impossibility? And God reminded me that he does impossible things. Do you know there's a, there's a scripture in the book of Joshua where Joshua prayed a stupid prayer, a dumb prayer, a foolish prayer. And he said, God, this battle that we're in today, we need to finish this if we're going to win the war. And he looked up to heaven and said, God, if it gets dark, we're not going to be able to finish what we're doing. So cause the sun to stand still, cause the moon not to continue to move so that we can finish what you started. And the Bible says that God caused the sun to stand still. That he stopped the sun. And there's so many times that we just we need a mountain to move in our lives. When I was messaging Stephanie, I said, is there anything that we can do? And she just said, just pray for this mountain to move. And this is a, a mountain that we need to move. But God can stop the sun. A mountain is nothing. He'll stop the sun in its place for his people. And so when, when we believe right now, we, we pray right now, I want you to understand something. There is, I'm, not a, I'm not trying to lie to you and tell you that I haven't had doubts, that I haven't had been afraid to be disappointed. But the night that I came home from the hospital, God just helped me to, to stir something in me. Because I, there's times where I thought, well, what if he's already gone? If he's already gone, we're just trying to hang on. And I felt like God just said, is, is he dead, dead? Is he in the ground? And, it, and I was moved in my heart because so many times we excuse ourselves from this prayer of faith because we're afraid to be disappointed. Would you rather be disappointed 
of a hope unfulfilled? Or would you rather be ashamed for not casting in your hope into a miracle? If, the, if this person raises up, if Russell gets up, wouldn't you feel ashamed if you didn't cast your prayers in the pot? Wouldn't you feel embarrassed that you were too scared to be disappointed? And I just decided that first night, I'm going to continue to believe 100%. And I'm going to continue to pray and believe in faith until he either gets up or we put him in the ground. I'm going to just give 100%. Why, why should we give 80%? Why, why should we believe only 90%? Why not just give all of our hearts to this? It's an investment. It's an investment to pray for somebody like that. So where you're literally putting all your hope and your faith in believing for something to happen. And I know that it's an investment because if it doesn't, we're all going to be traumatized. We'd all be so moved in our hearts. Our tears would overflow. But it is, it is worth it. It is worth it. It is worth it. And our, our hope, our hope for today doesn't end today. Our hope tomorrow doesn't end tomorrow. See, that's one thing that was moved in my heart when I was in that hospital room. I was just thinking about how these nurses and doctors were looking at us. Just pity. It's like, oh man. I just, and I started envisioning the way that sometimes professions talk among themselves. I've heard doctors say before, well, I just don't like it when people start praying because it's so hard to see them so disappointed. It's so hard to see their hopes crushed afterwards. And I I just was thinking about that in my head. I said, well, this is just one day of our hope. You're just seeing one day of the hope that we have in our God. But our, our hope is so much more than this moment in this situation. This is an overflow of our hope. This is extra in our hope. Because we have a, a king that we know rose from the dead. That proved himself the son of God when he paid for our sins. That's our ultimate hope. This is just bonus hope. This is extra credit hope. And I want you guys to just pray with me right now. God, we just speak over Russell right now. And we speak life in the name of Jesus. We speak life. And we don't speak the bare minimum life. We speak the abundant life that you have, Jesus. And we speak it over him right now. Because this is his church. And he needs to know that his church is praying and fighting for him. Because right now he can't pray and fight for himself. And so we will. And we just come to agreement right now for the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. Is the spirit that we're praying to raise Russell up. They've already declared him dead in a sense, Lord. But you are stronger than that. And you have set the stage with an audience. Of people who do not believe you can do this. 
But there's all these people in the background, all these believers in backstage knowing that you will. So Lord, come and show your glory. Show your power and raise him up in the name of Jesus. We just cancel the enemy's plans. We cancel the devil's tactics. We cancel doubt. We cancel fear. And we speak the power of God in this situation. We know and we believe and we put forth all of our hope, all of our faith. And we believe. And we tell Russell right now in faith in the spirit. God, you said that we don't even have to be in the same location. That we can speak a word and it would happen. That you've given us authority and dominion in this world. So right now we speak to Russell and we say, get up. Get up. In the name of Jesus, walk again. Talk again. We just speak that brain of his, Lord. We know that there is life. And even if there isn't God, you can make something out of nothing. You didn't multiply the bread and fish. You created it. And so we don't ask for you to try to slowly do a working progress, but that you literally heal him, God. That you create something new right now. We put him before you. We know and we believe, Lord. Because you love him more than us. And our hearts are broken for him. We have sown our tears and, and worry and sadness and in hope. And we know that we will reap tears of joy, Jesus. And we know and we believe and we speak this out in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. I want to thank you all for praying with us. Praying with me. And I want to just urge you, please don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. You know, we, there's, there's times where we need to decide what we actually stand for. And, and it was so hard for me to even have church today, to be honest with you. This message that I had for this Sunday, I created it and put it together last Monday. And it wasn't until last night that I revisited it and looked at it. And it, it's so difficult for me to even just share a message today. It's so difficult for me to just try to act like we can just go on like usual. It, but there's, a, there's something that, that God is doing. There's something that God is doing. And for our church, for our church, there's something that moved my heart so much when I was praying with Stephanie. And they, they are such amazing people. Russell is an amazing person that can light up the room. And Stephanie, when she was praying, she was saying, God, we are grave top church. We're not dead. We're alive. And Russell stands on top of the grave. He's not under it. And it made me think about 
our church. This is the first time in our church that we've had something like this happen. And I want us to talk about it. Because there's so many questions that go in our head, that go throughout our mind. And what we have to do in our hearts, in our church, in our prayers, in our faith right now, is that we must decide. Our, our generation is so flippy floppy. We can be this way one moment, that way the next. How many times have you yourself said, oh yeah, I'm going to go to that, and you never end up going? Just everyday stuff. Yeah, let's hang out this Friday. It's a Friday. Oh, sorry, I'm, I'm not going to be able to after all. Not because anything necessarily peculiar happened, but you just don't feel like it that day. You know what I'm talking about? We are so moved by our emotions and our feelings that it's so hard for us to commit to a decision. Even when I just simply ask, somebody will tell me, this happens all the time, say, oh, I really want to check out your church. And I say, well, why don't you just come this Sunday? And they're like, oh, yeah, you know what? I might. I'll probably go. And I ask them all the time, I say, what do you mean probably? So, well, if nothing comes up, it's like, well, what would come up? I don't know. Then just decide. Just do it. What, what are you waiting for? You think you can get invited to the Super Bowl or something? Well, what it makes it so hard to just say, yes, I will be there. Y'all take what I'm saying? It's just like impossible for people to do that nowadays. I might. Well, do you want to? Well, yeah. Well, then do it. And, and it's like this situation. It's like, how many times? I mean, I don't want to make anyone here feel guilty. Look, that's not my role here. I'm not, that's not of God. I'm trying to help us get on a decision-based mentality. To where when we decide something, we're going to do it. If we say we're going to pray for Russell, we're going to pray for him nonstop. We're not going to stop until something happens, good or bad. We're going to pray. That's a decision to stick to. But even for me as a pastor, as his pastor, there's moments where I start to doubt. And I start to think, well, maybe, this, maybe I should go a different way. Maybe I should think about trying to console instead of pray. And God has to tell me, well, didn't you say that you're going to pray? Decide on it and do it. Just go at it 100%. And see, that's something that we as a church need to change in our culture. That's why no one takes the church seriously anymore. Because we say one thing with intention, but our actions don't line up with it. We say, oh, well, I'm trying to be a good person. Well, just be a good person. Don't treat people like crap. That's being a good person. Well, I'm trying, you know. Well, just everyone's trying. Yeah. And again, this isn't to make you feel like, don't nitpick at yourself like, oh, well, I made a mistake. No, I'm not talking about mistakes. I'm talking about when we just don't try. When we're just like, oh, well, I just, it just didn't work out. We, we treat our decisions so loosely to where we, we don't, we don't, we're not loyal to our decisions. 
We don't take pride in our decisions. We need to. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you rather be a person, a Christian, that is confident in the decisions that you make? Where you didn't second guess every little thing. I can't even order from the menu at a new restaurant. Because I second guess every little thing. I freak out. That's why I just have a standard drink that I, get, that I know I can get at every location I ever go to. Water. Sometimes I don't even like asking for lemons because they might not have any. I'm going to be all tore up about it. What if I want Coke and they only have Pepsi? What if I want Dr. Pepper but they only have DP? They only got Dr. B. But I know, I know, I know that no matter where I go, I'm going to be able to get water. I'm not even specific. I don't even say filtered water because they might only have tap. And you know it when you drink that tap water. It tastes like 1% milk. But I'm, I'm not trying to tell you, look at me, do decisions like this. I'm, tell, I'm being open, honest, and transparent with you. It's hard for me too. But we need, we need to do our, a better job. We need to decide and commit to things. I once heard it like this. Whatever you decide to do, do it and beat it to death. You just beat it to death. You just do it to where it's just like, man, this like, we got it. You did it. It's like, no, I'm still going. I'm still doing this. Okay. Y'all get what I mean? We, we need to decide. The, there's, a, there's a verse in Revelations where it talks about, it's talking about the church. And let me just read it. We can go ahead and put it up there, Edward. It's Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 through 16. And it's the first verse that I gave you. And it says, this is Jesus talking to the church. And he says, I know all the things you do. Stop right there for a second. Jesus knows everything about us. If your own conscience knows you to where when you say something in, out loud in your head, you're like, I'm probably not going to do that. You ever, that ever happened to you all where your conscience is a witness against you? And you're like, yeah, I'll be there. And in your head, you're like, no, you ain't. You're not going to go. You're just being polite. And Jesus says, I know all the things you do. I know how you are. That's what Jesus is saying. I know how you is. That you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Another translation says, I will vomit you out. That's nasty. I can't even picture Jesus throwing up. says I will spit you out of my mouth and now I used to think well I like room temperature water that's not lukewarm I experienced lukewarm when we moved into our new house and for years I was always like I get the idea of like lukewarm like oh I'll spit you out but I never really experienced that feeling but we moved into our our new house and something was funky about our water heater it still randomly like surprises me it's very inconsistent when we first moved in, you turn on the cold water and it would just be hot. And you turn on the hot water thing, well, maybe it's mix match. No, it was also hot. 
And then like a couple days later, you do it again and it's working fine. It just, it just is so inconsistent. And the other day, I just poured a nice glass of water. And usually I'm fine with just the temperature that comes out of the faucet. I'm satisfied. It's room temperature, more or less. But this time, it was the perfect. Is like as soon as I took a sip, I knew exactly what lukewarm water t- tasted like at that moment. It's almost like it was the same temperature of my mouth. It was horrible. It was so horrible. I, I, I mean, I couldn't even finish it. I dumped it out. I said, I just, I guess I won't drink water today. <laughs> Because we didn't have any ice cubes ready or available because my kids don't like refilling the ice trays. That was a plug. <laughs> that they need to start filling the ice trays after they use it. Michaela knows. Come on. Every time Michaela comes over to our house, she fills our ice trays for us. She's a child of God. That's why. And so I just said, I'm not even going to drink water today. I was so thirsty, but I was willing to not even accept the water that was available because it couldn't decide whether to be hot or cold. And so I got the perfect imagery, first time in my life, of what God was talking about. Before I understood the perspective, but this time I experienced it. And I thought, oh my God. When we live like that, we must taste horrible. We must be such an awful taste, awful smell. And Jesus says, I'd rather you be on fire for God or on, almost on fire sinner. <laughs> I'd rather you be on your way to heaven or on the way to hell because if you're just in the middle, it's just gross. Mm-hmm. And think about that in another perspective. In a relationship, I know things are different now with like different kind of Word, I don't even know the right words, pan or, you know, not even talking about gender neutral, but like there's not being monogamous or is not, a, not as popular for some people. But having a polygamous lifestyle to where you just have whatever, that love is so universal that you can love anybody and anything. And that's great, really, truly don't mean that. But with my spouse... I'll just be, maybe this is a jealousy thing. I don't know. But if she was flirting with somebody else, or if she was treating somebody else the same way that she treated me, love, I would be pissed. I would not like that. If she told me, it's just a date with a guy, I'm married to you. I mean, I'm not like a mean person. And I don't know how I'd necessarily respond in a real situation like that. But just off the top of my head, I'd kick her out of the house. Like, well, let it, you know, he seems like a nice guy then. <laughs> Why don't you just go ahead? Because I'd rather you be with somebody else than try to be with me and flirt with somebody else. I'd rather you choose one or the other. Y'all dig what I'm saying? My wife would never do that, by the way. I'm way too manly. She just, there's not another guy like me. She's with me forever. Same for me and her. There's not one other human being, animal, uh, anything. There's nothing I would go to besides my wife. I, I put out animal because that's like a thing now, you know, like some whatever it works, you know, whatever floats your boat. Just my boat doesn't float like that. 
And so my wife is my only, my only treasure. She's all I want. And it's either, same goes for her, that if I was with somebody else, I don't think she'd be like, well, you know, we could just, you could just be with us both. You know what, let's just become Mormons. Like, I like this polygamous thing. I like this polygamous lifestyle. For my wife, knowing her, I don't think she would be down. She might actually kill me. <laughs> or cut me. Because she would still want me to stay. <laughs> but the point I'm making is, not only do we have to decide what we want, but we need to be loyal to our decisions. We need to be loyal. And even when it comes to our church, we need to be loyal to what we're a part of. Let me read you all another verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. This is Paul talking right when he's first addressing the church of Corinth. And he says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. There's a lot of things I want us to highlight and think about for a second. The first thing is that the way that Paul is talking, by the authority of the Lord Jesus. By the authority of the Lord Jesus. If you read throughout the rest of the New Testament, if you read like the book of Acts, that's the same way he casts out a demon. That's the same way he does a miracle, by the authority of Jesus Christ. Doesn't that show us that just this idea of unity in the church is so incredibly important? And the other thing it shows us is that it's incredibly attacked. That Paul is using the authority of the name of Jesus to bring about harmony for something that's divided. Think about that. We, we think about church so loosely nowadays. Notice how I'm saying nowadays as if I was alive decades before. But I, I've read a historical magazine before. I know what things were like at some point. That's a joke. Like a ha-ha joke. But what I'm saying is, you're like, you're just not funny. <laughs> We decided that you're not funny. We're loyal to that. <laughs> but what it's saying is that that harmony in the church is so important. And nowadays, I mean, when you think about what do people say that they do on Sundays? I'm going to go to the church this Sunday. It's almost rare that you hear people saying, I'm going to my church this Sunday. I really want to find a, a church to go to this week. It's not a an ownership. There's not a loyalty to any kind of place. Y'all get what I'm saying? And that's why so many people have to go through tragedies alone. Because there's no community that they really belong to. We've taken this loyalty out of church and we just make it like this marketing scheme. We make church a marketing idea where we choose the church that we go to by how nice their website is. Not because of the community that's available there, but how up-to-date and modern they are. Luckily, our website is awesome. Because I designed it. But 
Think about that idea that we look at church as almost like a business now. And we complain about it operating that way. Yet that's what we want. People want church to feed their every need. That's what a business does. A business supplies and demand. And we have made the church a supply and demand industry instead of a real life community. The church is supposed to be like a family. In the book of Acts, it said that when someone had a need, that there is people that would sell extra land that they had just to provide for that need. Now, look, I'm not telling anyone to sell your laptop or anything, okay? So I'm going to like sell land. Like, I can sell my Roku. <laughs> but think about, like, we read over that so, like, there's no impact in us. When I, if I were to just think about selling my car to help somebody in a need, I, it would just, it just, that's beyond my mind. I was like, man, I, I can't. It's like I've never been in a, an environment like that where people are that in love with one another, like a family. But do families do that? Yeah, all the time. If you have a family that has a, a plate sale, everyone's going to come and help cook those barbacoa tacos. Right? Is that what, what's the last plate sale you got? Sausage wrap? Barbacoa, brisket, anyone? Yeah, probably. <laughs> probably. <laughs> See, when it's something like that, and why are those plate cells happening? Because there's a need. And so everyone comes together and helps support that need. But I'm ashamed to say that there's been times in my Christian life to where I would get a prayer text like someone's, like how we sent out for Russell. And I would see it. And my heart didn't move. I didn't stop everything to get on my knees and pray. Sometimes I didn't pray at all. And I'd just read it. If anything, I'd pray right then and never revisit it. I'm, I'm ashamed for the way that I have acted in church before. Where I didn't take the loyalty of church seriously. You know, we have a saying in my family because we have, we have our, our kids with us. We have our babies, Joy and Jules, and we have our other kids, Julian, Edward, and Tamara. And we have a saying, we have family meetings all the time and it's either good or bad. It's either because chores aren't being done correctly or... We just all want to like come together and talk about like getting our getting back on the same page. If we've sensed like that, you know, we're not reading each other good. We have a family meeting and say, hey, you know, I, we just call out the elephant in the room. I feel like there's tension between all of us. Let's talk about it. And one thing that we commonly say, and as your pastor, you may have an opinion about this that might be offensive to you. That's going to be your problem. Because <laughs> one thing that we say to each other pretty often is, and I tell my kids and they say it back to me, I've told my kids, guys, you are my family. And I would literally kill somebody for you. 
And they're like, thanks, Dad. Appreciate it. I said, no, 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 no. You don't get it. I would literally beat somebody to death for you. They're like, okay, Dad, really, we get it. I said, no, no, no. I would literally strangle somebody. I would take them out to the curb and beat them until they coughed up blood. And they're like, okay, <laughs> we get it. It's like, okay, I love you, kiddo. <laughs> but see, they, and then they say about it like, yeah, we kill for you too. <laughs> see, because we often think like we die for one another, right? See, we say kill because it's mean I'm doing something for you. That, I know that's a weird analogy. <laughs> I haven't killed anybody, okay? Don't tell the FBI. <laughs> and it's like we have this mentality. It's like, well, if I have to just lie there and do nothing, then that's what I'll do for you. But see, we look at, we look at our family as something that we have to fight for aggressively. It's not something that we just lie down on, a tr- on the train tracks so that they can move on. Something that we fight for. And when it comes to this idea of loyalty, I am loyal to my family. And I'm loyal to this church. I've been a part of different groups where loyalty was a weird word. Where it was like a toxic loyalty. There was almost like this team versus that team. That's not the loyalty I'm talking about. That's toxic. I'm talking about a loyalty to where within yourselves, nothing would divide you. It's not a, a team loyalty to where we're against others. We're not a, not a loyalty for a church to where we're against other churches. That's foolish. I'm talking about a loyalty to where you have pride in who you belong to. You have pride to where you go. You have pride for what you're a part of. Y'all see the difference? And one, one thing that was, that is so, that's so moving, relating it back to this situation with Russell, how Stephanie's faith, she's so faithful to her faith in God that it seemed foolish to others. It seemed foolish to those nurses. And it's like, that's what loyalty really is sometimes. Where it's like, it's like with your family members, you've ever had that one numbskull in your family, and if you don't have one, you might be that numbskull. (laughs) To where it's like, everybody else that you ever talk to, they're like, you just need to give up on that person. You just need to give up on them. They need to just learn how to fail on their own. But the family's like, no, no, but I understand what you're saying, but I'm fighting for them still. It's almost foolish. And that's what this kind of faithfulness is like. That's what loyalty is like. And I want us to, I want us to take pride in who we are as believers. I want us to take pride in our church. I want us to take pride in the decisions that we make. I want us to take pride in in who we are. If you are embarrassed of where you go to church, then you should probably go to a different church. 
Is that safe to say? If somebody was embarrassed to say, I go to Gravetop Church, and they kind of bow their head. <laughs> and they're like, oh, with, with home, Pastor Homer? <laughs> Didn't he say that he would kill somebody? <laughs> That's not the way a pastor should behave. Yeah, I know. We're praying for him. <laughs> we're praying for our pastor to get saved. See, if you, I would rather you just go to a church that you feel proud about. <laughs> go to a church that you... I go to fellowship, Gracie Grace. <laughs> and we're just, we're just happy and rainbows everywhere. That's our banners. A big smiley face. Praise God. If that's where you want to go to church, embrace it. But you got to know when you show up at Grave Top, Grave Top. <laughs> We can be kind of different, right? The pastor might talk about killing somebody. (laughs) But whatever you go, you need to take a pride in it. To where you you want to wear a grave top hat coming soon. (laughs) In fact, we have some only here for $50. (laughs) It's a joke, guys. (laughs) How many someone is... Someone here has brought overpriced merchandise. <laughs> Concerts, right? Because you take pride in the band that you just listened to. See, that's, that's one thing about pride is it's like sometimes it makes people do dumb things to where you pay way overpriced because you appreciate the, that brand, that group so much. I mean, $50 for a t-shirt. <laughs> Come on. $100 for a poster, a Marvel poster signed by somebody thousand dollars for memorabilia that's pride right mm-hmm. how many people got a tattoo of like something crazy right cowboy star right there <laughs> lift up their shirt it's a text state of texas on their belly button <laughs> right people take pride to another level but when it comes to church it's like we're ninjas you wouldn't even know we were there Dang. yeah thank you <laughs> If you can't feel that pride to go to where you go to church, then you should go to somewhere else or watch church online. <laughs> right? Watch Joel scene online when, so that no one else knows. Because you don't want to have someone say like, oh, is it, do you even like Joel scene? Oh my gosh, he's not even a Christian, right? <laughs> That's a joke, by the way. Those of y'all who've been here before, y'all know that I view Joel scene as a Christian. <laughs> But people talk so much trash because I believe there's – this is a side note. I believe that there's two kinds of people, two kinds of Christians, those who bring others to Christ and those who talk about those who do. That's why everyone talks about church, mega churches, because it takes all the effort that they could be using to witness to somebody else. They'd rather make a YouTube video explaining why the salvations they have aren't real. It's crazy. That's another, that's another topic, but – I want us to end. I want us to end on this note. That when it comes to making these decisions, when it comes to being loyal, when it comes to taking pride, one thing that through all this, I, I've gone through like a kind of a journey this last couple of weeks, and I was believing this lie, and I, I don't think I've shared this with you guys. I'm going to be very transparent that 
the devil's been attacking our church. And I've been feeling it for a long time. And I, I've been getting, I've felt the devil trying to discourage and discourage and, and distract and attack. And I was believing, I started believing this lie that was whispered in my ear. And there's this lie as simple as this, that I'm a destroyer. That I destroy things. And I, it was at first just a whisper, but it settled in my heart and it grew into this, this ugly tree. And I started feeling that darkness in the shade of that tree. And I was believing this lie. What lie have you been believing about yourself? What lie have you been holding on to? And you feel that tree that's grown casting this shade over your life. And finally, I had a moment where I told my wife about it. And I cried and I cried and I cried. Because I had believed it so strongly. It grew so deep. Those roots grew so deep. And in this process... God, God showed me, he reminded me that when I first gave my life to Christ, the, the devil took a truth and turned it into a lie. That's what the devil does. Even all the way back to Genesis, the devil says, do this and you'll be like God. What was crazy is that they were already made in God's image. They were already like God and the devil convinced them otherwise. And... I, remember, I was reminded that there's one day when I first gave my life to Christ that I felt so strongly in my heart and my spirit. God tell me that I was going to be a, a destroyer of barriers in church. I was going to take down walls in church and that it was going to be used to unite church instead of divide church. Because I, I, it's like as soon as I started going, I could see all the pockets of division and God spoke that in my heart and I held on to it. And it's like those things that we, that word that we're given at the beginning starts to fade and we, the devil twists that, that memory into something else. And, and through this, this, this experience, I realize so much more of our identity as a church. And Gravetop Church we must be a church that prays for those who can't. We must be a church that stands for others who can't. And we have to be a church that defends those who can't defend themselves. That fights for those who can't. But that's who we need to be. And there's no way we can do that unless we decide to. Unless we're loyal to those people that we're fighting for. And unless we take pride into what we're doing and knowing that this is a purpose, that this is a real thing, that this isn't just a, a fairy tale, and that we're mad, that we're aggressive with our faith because we have a fire inside of us that the Holy Spirit has given. And, and we feel it. We feel a burning 
And there's so many times where a tragedy like this happens and the devil wants to use it to discourage you. Through this tragedy, God made me think about the book of Job. And the book of Job is one of the most peculiar books in the Bible because it gives this imagery of the devil going to God, asking to attack an individual and him going and doing that. In the whole book, the worst possible things happen to Job. And it has his friends that come along and try to make sense of it. And by the end of the book, it says that God himself comes and speaks to Job and his friends. And his friends started accusing him, well, it's probably because there's sin in your life. That's why God is trying to use this to get you to turn around. And we, be- we believe that. What's so crazy about the book of Job is that it takes people have so many opinions about it and thoughts about it. And one of the major thoughts about the book of Job is trying to explain it. Just simply trying to explain what's going on. But then it's like we miss the whole story. That the whole story is about Job's friends trying to explain a tragedy. And there's no explanation. And we look at this book like, well, we need to explain this. But see, that's, that's the thing with pain. That's the thing with tragedy in this world is that there is no explanation. There is no cause. That's it. And we just want it to. We, we want an explanation. We want to know why. And that whole book is not a why. There isn't. And when we think about when tragedy happens, a reaction out of our souls is crying out to God. Atheists will call, cry out to God through a tragedy. And so we think we've made up in our minds and we've become these friends of Job that start telling him, well, it's because there's sin in your life and God is going to use this to bring you back to him. And how many times have we tried to make sense of a tragedy saying, well, God's, gonna, God's using this to do a greater work in so-and-so, that he's going to use this for his glory. And we think that that was why that happened. Where in the Bible does God ever use blackmail to bring someone to Christ? When does God ever blackmail somebody into a healing, into a calling? When does God ever coerce somebody to do something like that? In the book of Romans, it says that when we repent, that it's compelled out of God's goodness and kindness. Not out of his judgmental, blackmailing heart. And yet when we're going through this, we have all these different prayers that come in our heads. Say, God, I'll, I'll be so much better if you get me through this. But see, God, God didn't send that destruction to you. God, there's, a, there's a story about King Asa. There's a story in, in the Old Testament about King Asa. And it says that at first he was, he was a king that did great things for God. But then he started... He stopped going to God 
and started going to the things of this world for his success. It says that there's one, the first battle he was in, that he cried out to God and God gave him victory when it was an impossibility. But then later on, instead of going to God again, he went to the Egyptians and God sent a prophet to him saying, because you went to the Egyptians instead of me, you're going to have war all your life. And even in that, we think, well, so God sent him war. No, that's a reaction to what he chose. That's, the con- that's not a consequence sent by God. That's, that's something that's going to happen when we try to fix things ourselves instead of bring it to God. And it says that King Asa was so mad that he started persecuting the people. Now, even that prophet, he locked up. And it says that he developed this disease later on, a serious foot disease. And it says that even then he didn't go to God, but just kept going to the physicians to try to fix it. What is most terrifying about this story to me is that this guy was just being rational. He was just being rational. I would do that. I would try to get help from these kings instead of go to God first. It's rational to just go to the doctor. But it says that because that he didn't go to God, it says that the, the disease kept going. And what it alludes is that even in his running away from God, that God was ready to heal him. That God was ready to make all things right and all things new. And I wanted to share that with you before we close. Because we've believed so many lies about who God is. I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And right now, right where you're at, if you're here today and you are moved in your heart. And you realize that you thought that God was this blackmailing entity. That would guilt trip you into coming close to him. Maybe you just, you've been away from God and you realize today at some point that your faith has been so weak and it needed to be strengthened and you want to just start over, refocus with him. Whatever it is, if that's you today, with every eye closed and head bowed, I want you to just raise your hand. Amen. Amen. So I want you to pray with me. Say, Jesus, you are the son of God. You made a way for me not to blackmail me, but to save me, to love me. You don't guilt trip me into salvation. You don't guilt trip me into a relationship with you. You do not manipulate You are truth. You are not a liar. You are the son of God. And you died for me on the cross. And you rose from the dead. My hope is in you. Jesus name. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.